All right, good morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. I was told just a few moments ago that there are only 13 tickets left to the women's events. And so um, you need to sign up for that. If you haven't signed up yet for the women's event, only 13 tickets. You know whose favorite number is 13? Taylor Swift. The... Her favorite number. I was walking around earlier today and I noticed so many people wearing red. And it, I could not figure out why there are so many people wearing red. I thought it was either cheering for those stinking Kansas City Chiefs or those horrible 49ers. I, didn't, I couldn't tell which ones y'all were cheering. Let me, let me see who's in the room. Let's see this. If you are going for the Chiefs, make some noise. Where are you at? That's horrible. And if you are going for the Niners, where are you guys at? Equally bad. Equally bad. If you are cheering for Usher, where are you guys at? All right. All right. Some of you may not know who Usher is, and I do not condone anything that he's about to do tonight. All right. So one time I said something about liking the halftime artist and then it was raunchy. It was really bad. And so I apologize. I do apologize for that. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28. That's where we're going to be today. Um, students were at Revo this week. So proud of you guys for making it through. And, um, and, and, and the work that you did on your souls and in our communities, uh, it's a big deal. It really is. And we are so proud of you. We're so proud of the little ones that are out throughout the congregation. They got their orange sheets. You're filling it out. Genesis 28. That's where we're going to be. My son, um, two of my sons were in Revo. One of them is 15. And so he's at that age where we need to start shopping for a car. We need to start shopping for, y'all remember that? You remember doing that? You remember being a part of that? Yeah. It's a fun stage. I love it. I'm excited. I can't wait for my boys to drive. I love to drive. I love going on drives. And so I can't wait for them to have that, that sense of freedom, that, 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 um, automobile, the car going out and, and having fun with their friends and stuff. I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. When I was 16 and I was picking out a car, the only thing that I wanted in that car was a CD player. I thought if you had a CD player, you had the coolest car. It was just the thing. It was, it, not all cars had CD players at the, now no cars have CD players, but we went all the way through. And, um, my friend was rich. He had a six disc CD player in his trunk. All right. And T-tops. Yeah. He was really cool. Really cool. On our 16th birthday, I got the new Newsboys CD, step up to the microphone and he got a car. And so we played. We played my CD in his car and, and it was fine. It was fine. Just needed a CD player and everything was going to go. I, I'm wondering for you, when you were buying uh, your first car, what was the feature that you really wanted? I got a couple written down here. Power steering. Anybody power steering? Power windows. Anybody? Yeah, that's a thing, right? Yeah. Used to have to do this. How many of you really just wanted a tape deck or an A-track player? All right, a couple of you. How many of you just wanted seat belts? <laughs> Look, I know we're an older congregation, but I looked this up and this wasn't that long ago. 
that these cars didn't. Now, if you're going to go look for a new car, let's say you're about to get your first car or a new car, or you're about to buy a brand new one. Who would want navigation? Navigation? Something. How about Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, something? Okay. Heated seats? Yeah. Yeah, there's at least two weeks out of the year you need that. You need that. Your bun warmer. Um, how about a moonroof or a sunroof? Anybody want one of those? That's my thing. Have to have that. Anybody going for hybrid or electric? A couple of you. Some of you are like, yes, but I don't know politically if I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> you are. It's fine. Okay. It's a car. There are some things about it. If you have that one feature in the vehicle, you feel like you have everything that you need. You don't need anything else. I got my first little truck and my dad and I put in a CD player in that truck. And I could not for the life of me think, what else could you want? What else could you want? It had four very weak cylinders, manual windows, two-wheel drive, but it had a CD player. It's the best truck ever. The very best truck ever. We're going to talk about a guy today who feels though, in spite of circumstances, he feels like he has everything he needs. I mean, it's crazy when we read this story, but he feels like he has everything he needs and it comes out in the way that he speaks to God. He feels like he is there and humans as flighty as we are, we tend to settle pretty quick. It's probably why we don't like the whole scattering aspect of God's mission. Why we don't go when he sins. We get our favorite order at the restaurant. And that is what we order for the rest of our lives, right? It's just what you order. And on a negative side, we will read one book. And we will make up our mind about something very serious. And that is what it is. We'll argue with people because we read that one book. We tend to just settle. And like I said, Jacob in Genesis 28, he sort of settled within his own heart that this is, he is all that he needs. Even though everything else in his world was unsettled. Every, even though everything else in his world was a massive need, he responds to God in such a way that he says, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. And my hope this morning is that by looking at Jacob's negative story, he's not the kind of person that you want to model your life after. Looking at his story, we would be helped. It would kick us into gear. It would keep us from stalling out. It would prevent us from getting too contented with where we are spiritually. Let's pray together and then we will look at Genesis 28. Genesis 28. God, thank you for this morning and all of the very many ways that you have blessed us. We do thank you for the rain. We're so appreciative that the rain reminds us that it rains on the just, those who deserve it, and the unjust, those who do not deserve it. And God, even as the rain falls, we are reminded that we do not deserve your grace, that we were all unjust. And so God, we never, ever complain about the rain. We always thank you for the rain, and we thank you for your grace. God, today, as we look at Jacob's story, this person that you used mightily in spite of his flaws. I pray that we would be encouraged to chase after you, to respond to your invitation, to to get off of go and to go and to follow you in our own hearts and our own souls, that we would grow more and more like you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. So I've given you plenty of time to be at Genesis 28. You should be there. Contextually, what's going on is Jacob is on the run. He's a homebody. 
He likes to be home. He's kind of like me, be home by 8 o'clock. If it's dark, I'm not driving. That kind of guy, that's the way he is. But he's made some mistakes and the consequences have caught up with him. His brother wants to kill him. His parents have sent him off to go find a bride. And so he is sort of this wanderer, sort of this broken person in need of a direction. And he's all by himself, usually in travel during this period of time. They would have found a stranger. There weren't hotels or motels. They would have found a stranger, somebody just to give them a shelter over their heads, a, a, a place to stay. That's what we find in the birth story of Jesus. And yet Jacob doesn't find that. He's on the run. He's made some mistakes. He's suffering the consequences all by himself, alone and in the dark and in the night. Genesis twenty-eight twelve and 13 says, and he dreamed a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky and God's angels were going up and down on it. Beginning of verse 13 says, and the Lord was standing there beside him. And the Lord was standing there beside him. This idea of the stairway or your English translation may even say ladder. You may have heard of Jacob's ladder, theologically, not like the workout. You may have heard of Jacob's ladder or this stairway. It's this idea that is only used here in this text. Some of the translations are sort of confusing on whether it's stairway or ladder. Likely stairway is the more accurate uh, translation of it. It would have been similar to what we call a ziggurat. You can Google that later, a ziggurat. And it has ties, this story in Genesis 28 has the story um, to, or, or ties to 11 with the Tower of Babel in which humanity said, we will go up to God. And yet in this dream, the messengers of God are coming down and going back. This is a normal concept in the Bible. That God's angels would leave his throne room and go out, share his message and do what it is that he tells them to do. And then they would come back and report. God is always a scattering God. God is always a sending God. And in Jacob's dream, he sees that. Now I stopped there at verse 13 and I said, um, in my translation, or the one that I'm using here called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. It says, and then the Lord was where? Where was the Lord? Standing where? Beside him. Now this is a problematic word. Why is it problematic? Because we don't have a direct English word for it. The word there that is translated beside could mean uh, next to Jacob in his dream. He saw him next to him. Or it could mean um, on top of the ziggurat, on top of the stairway, up there in the heavens. It could mean either of those things. Now, does it change the application for the text? No, not really. But it does leave open the idea um, uh, for greater impact or or application. I would almost kind of wonder, imagine with me, that it's both. That it's both. Why why would I say that? Well, let's, let's all put our minds in dream mode. All right? Put your mind, unless you went to Revo, don't go to sleep. Put your mind in dream mode and imagine that you are asleep. If you're one of the kids and you've got the little orange sheet, this would be a really cool picture to to draw in the section for drawing a part of this. And so you are asleep and you are awakened by the sound of angels moving. I don't know what that sounds like. You can make that up in your mind. You're awakened by the sound of angels in your mind. And as you stand through sleepy eyes, you can see this giant structure. 
kind of like a pyramid, but we call it a ziggurat. And it goes all the way up into the heavens. And there's the sound of fire and there's the sound of, uh, of, of a mighty Russian wind. And then there's this quiet. It is loud and it is quiet. It is captivating and it is terrifying. As you look up there at the top, the very top, all the way up into heaven, you can see this, this image, this figure, this person that you understand. And you don't know why you understand this, but you understand that to be God. High and lifted up, mighty, holy, holy, holy is his name. And then you hear a voice, a still, quiet, whispering, confident voice that says your name, Jacob. And as you turn, that image, that person is right next to you. And you can understand it and you can see it. And in your own confusion, you look back up and he's there. And you look to the side and he's there. And you understand it's the same person. It's the same person that is both high and lifted up and it's the exact same person that is right next to you. I kind of think that this is what's going on with the imagery of the dream. I think this is what God is communicating to Jacob as he is running, as he is scared. He's a full-grown man, but I wouldn't put it past him to be emotional as he lays there trying to go to sleep, unsure of which direction he's going to go for, knowing that he cannot go back. That God meets him in that moment and says, I am the, I am just in visual terms. God says, I am the God of the entire universe. Everything you can experience. I made that and I am next to you. I'm close. I'm beside you. These are the imagery. This is the mind, the vision that Jacob has. A.W. Tozer. If you haven't read him, you should says, God is spirit, and to him, magnitude and distance have no meaning. To us, they are useful as analogies and illustrations. So God refers to them constantly when speaking down to our limited understanding. So in the dream, was God above and over, or was God next to? My answer would be, yes. That's where God was. So do you see the image? Does everybody see it? Have you imaged it in your mind? That's your imagination. Sometimes as grown-ups, we need to work that out a little bit better. Imagine that picture and then hear God speak. Hear God speak. Verse 13. And the Lord was standing beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, that's his dad. And I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring, your children and their children will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out toward the west and the east, the north, the south. Everywhere you look, that will be your people. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you and your children. What God says to Jacob in the dream, not only shows him, but says to him, I keep my promises. I made a promise to your granddad. I made a promise to your father. And I'm going to keep those promises. It's not just the promise-keeping God that is speaking here, but, but picture it. Remember. Remember where Jacob is in his life. Remember the emotion that Jacob is carrying with him throughout this journey. He is all alone. He is by himself. And then God appears to him, standing next to him, says, I am with you. The same way you were, I was with Abraham... Your granddad that's buried and near that tree. The same way I was with your dad who sent you out. But you can still hear his words. 
and maybe even feel like your dad is a little disappointed. I was with them and I am with you. God is reminding him of where he came from, of the pain, this renewed promise. Hear me on this. And this is something maybe you write down. Maybe you think to yourself, maybe you write it down right now because you're going to need to hear God say it later. God knows exactly where you are and where you're from. God knows exactly where you are in this life. And he knows exactly where you came from. God knows all that. It's not a surprise to him. But verse 15 adds. In verse 15, God says something to Jacob that he did not say to Abraham, that he did not say to Isaac. Verse 15, he says, look, I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Jacob is the first person in the Bible story to hear God say, I am with you. God has made promises. God has declared what is good and what is very good. And here, the very first person to hear these words, I am with you. Is Jacob. Is this guy on the run whose brother wants to kill him. Again, this is so powerful. On the run, forced out by his family and just sent off by the others in a space of isolation. God says, you are not alone and you won't ever be. Is there anyone else in the room? Listen, is there anyone else in the room that needs to hear that? You need to hear God saying that to you. There's been some changes in your life. You've made a move in your life. Maybe you've moved across country or a different city and the relationships that you thought were so strong, they're, they're not there anymore. It's like those people don't care anymore and now you feel alone. You feel isolated. You feel by yourselves. Our church is filled with some of the sweetest, nicest widows and widowers that you've ever met in your life. And there's this there's this stage of life that you're experiencing that the rest of us are dreading, right? There's this happiness. There's these memories standing at a place like this until death do us part and death has done you part. And you feel alone and sometimes afraid. A lot of times joy, but in a lot of times that fear God speaks in that. You ever been at work, in the office, and the boss is really coming down on you? Some sort of standard that you can't meet? Some sort of expectation that he or she didn't communicate to you? And you feel like any moment now, I'm going to walk in there, there's going to be a slip on my, on my desk, or I'm going to get an email that I need to meet with HR, I'm afraid, I'm alone. And you know that it's not reasonable, you know that it's not fair, your coworkers are all agreeing with you. You know, in the break room or on the phone or through the personal chat, they're telling you, that's not right. They shouldn't do you like that. But none of them will say anything. You ever been in a spot like that? You just want one of them to stand up and go, hey, uh, supervisor over our supervisor, that guy's mean. But they won't. They won't because they're afraid and you're sitting there going, I'm all alone. You go home to your spouse, to your children, to your friend, I'm all alone up there. That's a horrible place to be. Or at school, every day. You wake up in the morning, tired. And you're headed to class. And I don't know where it came from. Maybe it was your parents, maybe not. Maybe it was the coaches and the teachers, maybe not. 
Maybe it's just something within you in our culture that pushes this pressure down on you, that it feels like everybody wants you to be perfect, where it feels like you have to be this perfect athlete and then this perfect student and you have to get straight A's or at least mostly A's and then you have to do all of this in this immense stress somewhere between childhood and adulthood and be perfect at it and then you come to church and it feels like that guy wants you to be like Jesus in all of this? How am I supposed to be like Jesus and Michael Jordan and Einstein at the same time? Nobody can do that. And you feel that all the time. And you feel like you're all by yourself, right? You ever feel like that? You feel like this is, I am the only one that can possibly be in this situation. Jacob hears God speak in those moments. And he says very clearly, I am with you. And that with you, listen to me, that with you is more than proximity, God doesn't just say, I was standing there, I saw the whole thing. Listen to me. When God says, I am with you, he is not saying, I was right there, I saw the whole thing. What he is saying is, I was right there, I felt the whole thing. It hit me too. I feel this pressure. I experience this isolation. All by myself, lifted up between earth and heaven. All alone. I feel that. God speaks for that moment. You weren't ever by yourself. You are not alone and you won't be. So there's this dream. There's this visual picture that God gives to Jacob. And he says, I am high and lifted up. And I am right next to you. Then he says in his words, what you left behind, what you love, what you treasure. I was there and I'll be with you. You weren't alone. You won't be alone. And then Jacob responds. In the following verses, Jacob responds and he does the stone thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We mentioned this verse. And if you want to, you should go out to the prayer garden. If you weren't here for that, you should see those stones. We've even got a table set up. If you weren't here for that service and there's something that you need to drop, something that you need to leave behind, there's still a table out there with stones and markers. I invite you to be a part of that. So besides the stones, Jacob makes a vow. And it wasn't uncommon But exactly what is happening in his words, we're not entirely sure about. Let's read them first. Verses 20 through 21. And then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. There are some that say that this is just the way that people worshiped at that point. And some of that is going on. But I feel like, I think, and I agree with those who are biblical students and scholars who say, this is just more of Jacob's broken character. God has said. God has shown. God has promised. And Jacob says, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Let's see how it all plays out first. Let's see, God. Let's see what it is that you really want me to do. Jacob is a schemer. He bargains with his brother. He bargains with his dad. He bargains with God. God chases down Jacob from our perspective and he encourages him. He promises to fulfill the original promise and bring him home. And Jacob says, well, I mean, if you do, then you can be my God. How would you look at God in the face and say, Let's see how this goes. 
His character is broken and his circumstances are so puzzling. Jacob is alone by himself in the desert. Can't even find a stranger to lend him shelter for the evening. He is not walking with God and yet God finds him there in that space. He is running and yet somehow he is able to muster up the, um, let's call it confidence. The utzpah, right? He, he musters up this arrogance to say, well, let's make a deal. If you take care of me. One biblical student, um, scholar, said it this way. Jacob is in a wait and see mode. And he wants to have his benefits up front before he delivers on anything. Cash on the barrel. This is not like a vow in which a request is made and a vow attached so that recognition of God's role can be indicated. God has made a statement of his intentions, but Jacob will show himself skeptical. He may have been awestruck by the dream in verse 17, but he is still in effect demanding that Yahweh prove himself before he can expect a response from Jacob. You would expect... You would expect that in his loneliness, when Yahweh shows up, that Jacob would change, that he would turn, that he would do a 180 and be more like God expects him to be. You would expect that, but Jacob doesn't. He still shows his old self to be strong. And I keep saying that this is illogical, that this doesn't make sense, but it is sort of expected, right? It's not expected because of Jacob. It's expected because of you. It's expected because of me. We all do this. How many times do we fail and fail and fail again? And we just keep thinking, this time, I'll be stronger. This time, in my own strength and in my own abilities and in my own mind, I'll do the right thing. People do that. Churches do that. Keep failing and yet thinking, well, the answer's all within us. I don't, I don't need God. I got this, right? How many times do you keep failing to the same sin or pride or lust or allowing the addiction to take control? And we just think next time I'll have stronger willpower. I can overcome this thing. I don't need to make any changes. I don't need anybody outside of myself. I don't need God. At rock bottom, we can still muster up the idea that I'm good enough. I can do it. Give me one more chance. We get into a conflict and somehow we think everyone else is to blame but us. You ever been there? My mom always said, if you got a problem with everybody, everybody ain't the problem. <laughs> think about that for a second. If you got a problem with everybody, everybody ain't the problem. That's you. We humans often have an inexhaustible amount of self-assurance. The kind that gets us into trouble. We just keep thinking, I don't need God. I don't need to change. I am my own capitan. I am my own boss. I will make it better on my own. If anything in this story, what you see is God's paternal grace. He just smiles. Could you imagine? Jacob is, he's a scoundrel. He's a bad dude. He runs off by himself and he's over there all emotional and crying about it. And God shows up and says, hey, it's going to be okay. And Jacob goes, oh yeah, who are you? I could do this on my own. God just smiles, says, we'll see. We'll see. And granted, in, in chapter 35, Jacob does return. And he has a changed heart. It took him 20 years to break that out of him. But he does. Listen, if you are not a Jesus follower, if you came with a friend, somebody invited you, 
maybe a stranger, somebody invited you here for the first time. If you're not a Jesus follower, I want to tell you something really interesting about this story. This story, the one we're talking about, Jacob, happened a long time ago, thousands of years ago. But Jesus, thousands of years later, mentions this story. He met a new guy named Nathaniel. And when he meets Nathaniel, this story is recorded in John chapter 1. When he meets Nathaniel, somehow in the conversation, Nathaniel eventually comes to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one that they have been waiting for. And Jesus responds to that by saying, you believe that just because I told you something cool about what happened earlier? But you will see the angels ascending and descending on me. Jesus Jesus quotes this story to tell Nathaniel something. What was it that he was trying to tell him? Nathaniel, all by himself, under a tree, trying to find the answers. Jesus says, I am the answer. I am where heaven meets earth. Me and me alone. And that very same message he's saying to you. I don't care how sharp you look. In your church Sunday clothes. I don't care how long you've gone to this church or any other church. I don't care if this is your very first time. You come in here today and you look good and you do. And you sound good and you do. But in your heart you are broken and you are afraid and you are scared. You are all by yourself suffering the consequences. You think to yourself if I could just go one week without making one new enemy that would be awesome. But you're walking around with that. You've got that pain. You've got that isolation. You've got that fear in you. And the same thing that God told Jacob, the same thing that Jesus told Nathaniel is, you weren't ever alone. I chased you down. And I'm standing here right now to tell you this. I am what you've been looking for. I and I alone am the answer. So I'm telling you, my friend, you got to leave that at the cross. You got to leave that with Jesus. All that brokenness and isolation. You're surrounded in a room filled with hundreds of people. And you feel like you are all by yourself. You are not by yourself. Jesus is with you. So respond to Jesus. The Bible tells us if we will respond to Jesus. If we will believe that he is the son of God. And trust him with our lives. Then he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us. From all of those broken things that we've done. From all of those bad intents that we had. For all of those bad things that we keep doing. God will forgive us of all of that. And call you his friend. You are mine. I am with you. I never left you. You were never alone. That's what Jesus says to us. For those of us who have followed Jesus. Right after you follow Jesus and for the rest of your life, I have this application to give to you. I have this thing to leave with you. I want to encourage you to live the dream. Live the dream. This is super corny, but I don't normally do that this way or make acronyms, but I made an acronym. All right. So if you write things down, here we go. Live the dream. D-R-E-A-M. Dream. D. Depend on grace. Start with humility. Jacob messed up and what he thought was that he could do it all on his... He thought he was the smartest guy in the room. And here's the reality. He probably was. But he needed humility. Depend on grace. Start there. R. Respond to God's invitation. John 1. That story I told you about with Nathaniel. One of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. 
His friend comes up to Nathaniel and, and says, hey, you need to come see Jesus. And, and Nathaniel's like, well, whatever, Jesus. And Philip just responds in the most beautiful way. I don't know. Come and see. Just come and see. There's this invitation that's going out to you right now. As a person who's alone and afraid and by yourself, I'm telling you, come and see Jesus. If you're looking for me to answer every question you've ever had about Jesus, I ain't got that. All I'm telling you is I know him and he's real and he changes everything. Just come and see. Depend on grace. Respond to God's invitation. E, embrace community. Jacob took advantage of his family. He took advantage of everybody that ever cared about him or loved him. And we still do that today. The church is a good gift from God. And we act like, eh, take it or leave it. Like it's Kroger. If it's convenient, I'll go. And if it's not, I won't. Like you need some sort of membership perks to show up. It isn't a grocery store. It isn't a country club. It's a family. Embrace community. Love community. I am so encouraged right now. I'm telling you I am. I'm over the moon encouraged by how many of you showed up while it was raining. Baptist melts in the rain like the wicked witch. (laughs) And you're here. It didn't hurt. You're fine. Embrace community. It matters. Depend on grace. Respond to God's invitation. Embrace community. A, abide in prayer. This is what Jacob did well. He prayed. Abide. That means live. But I needed an A word. Abide in prayer. Jacob got this right. Notice this. Jacob is still messed up. He's still got really bad character. He's still got all this. He doesn't need to clean up before he goes to Jesus. Jesus loves you exactly the way you are. And he loves you enough not to leave you there. So abide in prayer. And the last one, M, move forward. Keep moving. Can I, can I share something? Just, just hey, senior saints. You know who you are, all right? Just listen to me. Nobody else is listening. You have not yet arrived. You don't know everything. You haven't retired from gospel ministry. There is no retirement in following after Jesus. You do that all the way until he leads you across that river and into heaven. You are not done yet. And regardless of your age, regardless of how long you've been involved in a church or a ministry, we all get to the point where we think, you know, I kind of know all this stuff. Sometimes in the deep down parts of our hearts, back in the mind, we've been in Sunday school, we've been in Bible drill, we went to VBS, we've done all this, we went on mission trips, we served with TBM, we did all this kind of stuff. In the back of our mind, we're like, you know, I'm, I'm like a captain in this thing. I'm pretty sure I'm Jesus's favorite. Pretty sure. We don't say that out loud. But we think it. So let me tell you this. You're not. You're not. All right? That's Miss Kate. You're not Jesus' favorite. So keep going. Keep moving. Keep reading. Keep praying. Keep repenting. Keep giving. Keep inviting. Keep loving. Keep serving. Keep giving up things for the good of other people. Keep sacrificing so that other people can hear Jesus. Keep serving so that other people will know Jesus. Live the dream. Depend on grace. Respond to God's invitation. Embrace community. Abide in prayer and move forward. A few years ago, my family and I, we went to 
Phoenix, Arizona. I'm pretty sure that for the King family, Phoenix is our favorite city outside of the great state. We think that city is pretty cool. We went there for spring break and we hung out. Uh, we even went to the Texas Rangers spring training game there. It's really fun. It's a really beautiful, beautiful city. And at one point, at one point, we decided to take the little rental Jeep. We had a Jeep, uh, one of the kind with the, like, the truck bed on it. And we were going to drive up to Sedona. All right. And Sedona is beautiful. And I was on Instagram and I saw all these cool pictures of Sedona and I thought, this is going to be fun. This is going to be beautiful. We're going to drive up there and go. And so we got in the truck and we took off driving. We've never been there before. I've never been to Sedona up to this point. I've never been to Phoenix up to this point. And so we're driving and we're going along and every few miles we would see something beautiful. And I would think to myself, this is it. We're in Sedona. And then I would look at the map and like two hours remaining. I was like, how? How? This is cool. Got my, uh, drove my kids crazy. I just go, hey, do you see that? You see that? They're like, dad, it's a desert. We see everything. <laughs> Literally everything. Passed some sequoias and those are cool. We just kept passing things and it just kept getting cooler and cooler and cooler. And finally we're in Sedona and Sedona is, you put it on your list. You need to go to Sedona. It was such a cool little town. Had a blue McDonald's. Look it up. It's a teal McDonald's. So that was cool. I get in, I, I'm impressed by the small things. And that was cool. There were these red stone structures that were breathtaking is not a good enough word for it. Just these mountains, something that seems so cold and isolated was so warm and inviting. We picked out a trail on the map that said it's a good trail for families. And so we parked and it literally just, there was a, there was just a clearing in the, in the, trees all right all the trees were this big but there's just a clearing and it just went down that way and so we were like i think this is right so we just started walking and we walked i don't know an hour and that trail was horrible (laughs) it wasn't pretty at all it wasn't there was sand and trees and that's it nothing we get to the very end of the trail and it was like this is it this is it there's no waterfall obviously it's arizona there's no There's no canyon, nothing, just giant rocks that were just piled up there. And it wasn't even impressive. We were just at the end of the thing and we're like, this is it. We did the thing, I guess. Um, You want to go back? But then I climbed and I went up and I went as high as I possibly could. I got up to the side of literally a mountain and I'm up the side of this mountain up as high as I could crawling as far as I could and I turned around and oh my goodness that was it as far as I could see the most beautiful of God's creation reds and browns and yellows and stone and 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 desert that stretched out as far as you possibly could see Over and over and over and over throughout that whole trip, I just kept thinking, this is it. We're here. I am so glad I just kept going and climbing and going past. In our Christian life, it's the same way. You get to some point, you think this is it. Sometimes, sadly, you think that was it. We're past it. It's never going to be any better. Keep going. And live the dream. Let's pray together. God, thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us in and through this church. God, I pray today as we are encouraged to keep going that we would. 
that we would strive to make more and more of you. That we would celebrate what it is that you have done in our lives. God, we would live that dream. Humbly coming to you again every day. Knowing that we have not yet arrived. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Y'all stand with us. We're going to give you a moment to respond. Whatever the Holy Spirit has guided you to do. Maybe you need to take a step of humility. Maybe you need to pray for the name of somebody that needs to know Jesus. Maybe there's somebody that's laid on your heart that like Philip told Nathaniel, you're going to go out this week and say, come and see. I can't describe it. You're just going to have to come and see. Whatever that is, you pray now. As Holy Spirit works in your minds and your hearts, you respond. If you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, there'll be a few of us down here. We'll, we'll answer that. If you want to take steps towards membership, we'll be here as well. You move.